0: Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another episode of our offseason edition of Fantasy Football Today, DFS. I am Sia Najad at Sia and we're continuing our off-season series highlighting DFS game theory, strategy, and player analysis. We have a very special guest on tonight, and we will be evaluating rookies and their respective fits and maybe touch on NFL DFS week one while we're doing it. It is none other than, you're probably familiar with them, Jacob Gibbs. You can find him at JA Gibbs underscore 23. You can also find him at Sportsline. You can find him on CBS Fantasy. Sometimes he's on Fantasy Football Today in Five. He can be heard in a lot of places, and he can be read in a lot of places. Specifically at Sportsline, Jacob. How are you today?
1: I'm great, to see you. I really, really love this rookie class, uh, particularly the wide receivers. I think are uh, really fun and different um, than you know, kind of some of the prospects we've seen in a long time. So I'm really excited to dig in.
0: I can't wait to dig in and, and I'll tell you we're not going to be able to dig in like you dig in on Sportsline and <laughs> some of your other written content that you do uh, obviously for um, FFT today uh, Fantasy Football today as well so I do want to impress upon people if you're not already a member at Sportsline and you're you're not already reading Jacob's stuff it, it is genuinely next level so I highly encourage you to do that we can't get that detailed Jacob because if we did that we'd go like three four hours potentially <laughs> so let's roar through some running backs we'll, we'll hit some receivers maybe talk about maybe early season breakout candidates, you know, things of that nature. I think that'll just kind of be a part of the conversation regardless. Let's get started. How does that sound, Jacob? Yeah, I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Okay, so pre-show, we were talking with uh, Frank Stample, of course, and we were talking about the New York Jets because that's all Frank talks about. And we were talking about Brees Hall specifically. So let's get started right there. Obviously he's with the New York Jets, running back taking 36 overall. That's pretty high draft capital. I'm curious in your estimation, whether that high draft capital is going to pay off and and to the extent it does or doesn't, how do you see it forming in year one?
1: Yeah, so when we've seen, you know, historically running backs with this type of draft capital um, who also had such dominant um, shares of their, you know, college teams volume as a rusher and a receiver, Generally speaking, they uh, are highly productive fantasy running backs, um, and so I definitely don't want to bet against Brees Hall. I think I'm just, you know, kind of sl- slightly lower the consensus on him um, for 2022 for dynasty purposes. I'm actually a little bit, uh, a little bit concerned about Hall just where he's being valued. I think um, a lot of it has to do with his class being relatively weak. Um, just having you know evaluated the rookie running backs in, you know. <laughs> excruciating detail for the past three or four years now. Really Brees doesn't stand out to me more than someone like Javante Williams. Um and I just don't I think he's like clearly the you know one one of this class. Um but I think relative to some of the other classes that we've had, uh I'm not particularly excited about him. And then when we have, you know, what the news coming out of New York here with beckton going down with NJ already. Um I just there's a lot of questions about the role with the Jets if he's going to play on passing downs And then, you know, if he's not, you know, how high powered this offense is going to be because he's going to need to have elite rushing efficiency. if He's not playing on passing downs.
0: Do you have a a guess as to because you mentioned passing downs. We know Michael Carter had some pretty legitimate impact when it came to that. Also on first and second down to some degree as well. Uh, Do you have a sort of an estimation as to how you see that backfield splitting or or just for that matter, whether Michael Carter will have a, a heavy impact on Brees Hall's workload going into the season?
1: yeah I, I think michael carter is honestly one of the best um just pure receiving running back prospects that we've seen in a while uh his um data at north carolina as a, a route runner pass catcher was really exciting and then he came in and demanded targets at really high rate um in year one and so i think it's entirely possible that he is going to you know significantly cut into the the role for Brees hall um and when you really when you dig into Brees hall's um collegiate data as a route runner it's not all that exciting um, it was more of just a volume play. He, he saw a ton of routes, um, but he really, on a per-route basis, was not all that exciting. You know, he, he averaged you know fewer yards per route run than you know, Najee Harris and J.K. Dobbins, just barely above Cam Akers and A.J. Dillon um, for his career, which is, you know, I don't know if people realize that. I think because of the amount of, you know, total receiving volume that he got, he was able to, you know, pile up all these catches and yards, and so people think of him as, you know, a DeAndre Swift or, um, you know, James Cook, Clyde Edwards, those type of receiving backs we've had recently. But I, the data doesn't really bear that out, um, whereas Michael Carter does have really, really strong data as a pass catcher. So I think it's, it's definitely possible that Carter plays a meaningful role there. Um, and more than anything, just as kind of a thorn in the side for Brees.
0: Well, we will talk about James Cook in a second. But before we get there, let's talk about Kenneth Walker, who was drafted three spots behind Brees Hall, drafted, of course, by the Seattle Seahawks. Now, no Chris Carson for Seattle, but they do have an emerging uh Rashad Penny, obviously. So interesting situation there. I'd love to hear how you think that backfield is going to split, but just talk to me about Kenneth Walker in general first.
1: Yeah, talk about discouraging uh per route data. It really doesn't get much worse than Kenneth Walker in terms of his uh, the data we have on him as a pass catcher. Um so he's he's gonna have to get it done as an elite early-down producer. And I think what we saw from um, at the college level suggests that he definitely could. He's been really, really good in terms of broken tackles and really all the advanced uh, rushing metrics that I look at. Um, His discrepancy versus his backfield teammates um, at both the colleges he played at uh, really stood out. Um, And he was also really, really good in short yard situations. So I think if he gets the role, he could be, you know, one of the league's most explosive rushers. Um, And, you know, possibly, you know, the top range of his outcomes is a Nick Chubb type of a player where he's, you know, kind of situation independent. And it doesn't really matter that he doesn't get uh, a ton of targets because he's that good on early downs um, as far as in year one, is that going to happen with all the Rashad Penny hype? Um, I have, I have no idea. I, I we've seen this happen several times with Seattle where, you know, the young running back that's hyped doesn't actually end up being the playing time. So I've ended up being a little bit underweight on Kenneth Walker because all the things we mentioned, but um, just from a profile perspective, I think he, is really, really strong as a
0: rusher. Is there a situation because of how much Seattle runs the ball that you could see the floor being pretty high for Kenneth Walker, even if he's only getting, let's say 40% of the, or 35% of the carries. I think so. I think it'd still be useful if he's getting that share. I just don't
1: know if he's going to get that, if they split it, you know, among three guys um, and he's not the number one, I don't don't have him project for that type of role if he's in the two role. Um, But I think, If he does get that share, it's possible he could sell, because I think they are going to be probably
0: the most run-heavy team in the NFL in terms of ratios. Certainly. Let's talk about James Cook. I think this is one of the sort of the sexier picks in fantasy, whether you're talking about redraft or heading into daily fantasy. I think this is a guy that people have a lot of questions about. He was selected, of course, 63rd overall. Dalvin Cook's brother, so... That family is just kicking butt in the NFL. That is awesome. But James Cook, obviously an efficient college runner, uh, great pass catcher, uh, wasn't from a workload standpoint, he wasn't utilized a ton. How do you assess James Cook coming into the NFL?
1: Yeah, you nailed it. He has one of the widest ranges of outcomes um, because we don't really know what we're getting here because he didn't um, you know, demand a high rushing share at all in college. Um, and typically running backs who aren't able to you know, get that type of rushing share don't translate well at the NFL level um, as, you know, full-time players. But I think if we read the tea leaves with Buffalo, they clearly wanted to bring in um, somebody who can contribute on passing downs. Devin Singletary has been one of the least efficient uh, pass catching running backs in the NFL. Um, And James Cook's data as a receiver is really, really exciting. Um, Really pretty similar to DeAndre Swift, who came from the same backfield and then at the NFL level has elevated his, uh, all of his per route data and become one of the, you know, most dangerous pass catching running backs in the NFL. Um, And so just, the upside is immense with Cook. Uh, just today on Sportsline, I published an article um, talking about what it takes to have like true RB1 upside and just the different target thresholds that are needed. Um, and Cook surprised me when I was running projections as one of the players who actually could hit some of these. Um, and that's just because Buffalo is going to have so many dropbacks. Um, I think you have to project them for over 700 dropbacks. And if Cook ends up taking you know 50% of the routes um, or more, then his per route data from college suggests that he could really pile up like 80, 90 targets, which is nuts. Um, but that's exactly it. Like the ceiling is really high, but we really also have no idea what the role is going to be at all. So he's a great best ball pick um, and somebody that I'll be really excited for in DFS. If we do see him start to get a regular role, um, but there's definitely downside.
0: Yeah. And just an FYI on that, while we will touch on DFS, keep in mind, James Cook is in that singular game on Thursday night football against the Rams. So salaries aren't out yet for that, but you know, that's probably not a spot and we'll have to monitor training camp. Maybe that's not a spot you play James Cook, maybe it is. That's just something we're going to have to wait for the preseason to flush itself out, but I do think once he's on the main slate, he's going to especially if if we see him having impact early, he's going to be somebody that's very attractive. Some people aren't going to want to take the chance on him, some people will and you know, it's kind of just to Jacob's point it's boom or bust. At least early, it's gonna be boomer bust for him. Speaking of boomer bust, I mean, this guy is certainly maybe maybe not either, because he has somebody in front of him. And it's Rashad White. He, obviously, Leonard Fournette is going to be the lead back in, in Tampa Bay. But I, I feel like they drafted Rashad White for a reason. And tell me what you think of Rashad. I'm really
1: excited for Rashad White as well. Um, he has maybe an even more volatile projection here than James Cook because the sample size we have on him being good, especially as a pass catcher, is so small. He only ran 233 routes at the college level, um, but the data I have on those routes <laughs> is really, really encouraging. Uh, I was targeted on 24% of his routes, averaged 2.6 yards per out run, which is way higher than any running back that I have over the past five years. I have no idea if we can trust that because it's such a small sample size. Uh, typically, I want 350 more routes, um, and he was only at 233 but um the profile is really strong in terms of the ceiling he could be a three down contributor at the nfl level who draws targets at a high rate um, and then obviously we've seen Leonard fournette targeted at such a high rate in this role in tampa bay so if something happens
0: to fournette rashad white could step in and be like a top 10 running back right away in fantasy Absolutely, I think Rashad White is a very interesting guy to take a chance on. Um, yeah, obviously for for DFS, if something happens to Fournette, but but in best ball, certainly, and in your redraft leagues as a late pick, um, whether you are uh, handcuffing or not, I think Rashad White is a, a very good speculative play. Which leads me, speaking of potential handcuffs, leads me to TDP, Touchdown Davis Price, otherwise known as Tyrion Davis Price. San Francisco selected him ninety third overall. We're hearing good things about him so far, and I I think he's one of those guys, especially because of the offense he's in and because of the ability for any Shanahan offense, and I'm talking about Mike and Kyle, to sort of rotate through running backs and make sure that they're successful. I think Price has, especially when you consider Elijah, like Elijah Mitchell is probably going to be the workhorse, but he's not exactly like built for running a full season, you know, 20 touches a game. So I think Mm -hmm. Tyrion Davis Price is really interesting. Where are you at on him? I didn't like his
1: prospect profile. Um, and honestly, I was pretty confused by the pick. I thought uh, there were several running backs who profiled similarly in, t- in terms of what Tony Davis Price does, um, who I preferred. Uh, Samir White, for sure. Um, I, I thought Brian Robinson would, would have been a better fit there as a spiller. Um, but this is where he landed. And San Francisco clearly likes him because of the uh, investment that they made. And um, I mean, we saw with Trey Sermon last year, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, but they are excited about this guy and everything I've heard out of camp has been good. Um, he, and out for as negative as I've, as I've been about his profile, he did, uh, he did step it up a lot in 2021. He rushed for a thousand yards, um, on a pretty bad LSU squad. Um, and his rushing success rate was 11% above his teammate average. Um, and only Damian Pierce had a higher discrepancy among the rookies that I evaluated. Um, so in 2021, he was pretty freaking good as a rusher. Uh, so, Maybe he's somebody who just takes a while to adjust and uh, is getting better, and we sh- I shouldn't judge him too harshly because of the early career data. Um, but in terms of the things I like to look at, he, he didn't stand out. He really he had, I think, the worst yeah, the worst broken tackle rate um, and the worst explosive rush rate among the rookie running backs that I evaluated. So I think he could take a role, and just because the amount of rushing that San Francisco does, he could be relevant in fantasy, but he doesn't offer much as a pass catcher, and uh, there are definitely some concerning uh, advanced metrics on him.
0: I think it might be that draft pick might be attributed to just Kyle Shanahan's ego. He's like, I'm going to take a running back that doesn't rate out well per Jacob Gibbs, just to show him that me and my dad can make any running back amazing. So (laughs) we'll see how that plays out. But I'm really glad you mentioned Damian Pierce, because that's actually the, the next guy I wanted to ask you about. Drafted 107th overall by the Houston Texans. Listen, there's not much competition here. I mean, this guy, in my opinion, Jacob, could be the week one starter. Maybe that's overstating it, but maybe not. He's 4,800, by the way, week one versus Indianapolis. Not exactly the best matchup. Probably, You're probably talking about Houston playing comeback ball. So if you were going to play that game, maybe you play Jonathan Taylor, maybe play Michael Pittman with Matt Ryan in a contrarian stack, and you run it back with a receiver like Brandon Cooks or a cheap Nico Collins. Probably not Damian Pierce, but forget about week one. Jacob, how do you feel about Damon Pierce in general?
1: I like Pierce a lot, actually. I I feel like um, people were kind of negative about that pick originally and uh, were like, don't overreact to the landing spot and the lack of competition. Damon Pierce isn't very good. But the more I dug into him, I I haven't found that to be the case. He's somebody who really improved year over year. And by his final season, he broke tackles at a ridiculous rate, 47%, um, which led the class. And also Javante Williams and Travis Etienne are the only two running backs with at least 100 rushing attempts to break tackles at a higher rate. Uh, In the five years I have that data available. So that's exciting. He doesn't bring much as a pass catcher, but he does, you know, he has shown an ability to be an explosive rusher who can break tackles. Um, And Houston needs playmakers, you know, um, especially in the backfield. So I think it makes sense that he's somebody who could take on a pretty, you know, large share of the early down work. Um, And I think Houston's offense could be a little bit better than people realize Um, under new management here. uh, Davis Mills had showed some, you know, encouraging signs last year. Uh, so, yeah,
0: I, at his draft price, I'm I'm taking some Damian Pierce and I like him dynasty as well. All aboard the Davis Mills bandwagon, which I've been <laughs> on since last year. I'm not the inaugural member, but I'm just saying I was part of that group. We'll see if that crashes and burns in my face. But I do want to ask you a little bit more about Damian Pierce in the sense that is it conceivable based on what you've seen so far, obviously, in college that he could take on a three down role? And I only ask that because, yeah, Rex Burkhead is on that team, Marlon Mack. But, hey, the, these guys are. Marlon obviously coming back from an injury a couple of years ago, kind of a bad one. Rex Burkhead certainly getting older. I just wonder, is there a scenario where Damian Pierce becomes a third down back as well?
1: So we didn't see it at the college level. Um, And I think this is really the the big red flag that people bring up with Pierce's profile. He was never able to command more than 40% of Florida's um, running back rushing attempts in any of his four seasons. Uh, Even though, like I said, by his last year, he was like convincingly the best option. Um, Hmm. he has size. So like, I don't, I don't really know what that is about. I don't know if that's just some sort of issue with Florida's coaching staff and Pierce or or what it is, but, um, we haven't seen him in that type of a role ever. And so it feels a bit dubious to expect him to do it at the NFL level, even in a
0: backfield that doesn't have much competition. Absolutely fair there. So there's a few other running backs I want to ask you about, and then we're going to get to some receivers that I know you really like. Um, Some when I was a sports line, some some of that information uh, I don't want to I don't want to spoil it. But like the Drake London analysis was so interesting to me, and we're going to get that to that in a second. But a few more running backs I do want to ask you about. Zamir White, you just mentioned a few minutes ago, we saw him in the preseason. I mean, I can't believe I can say that, Jacob. We can say that we <laughs> saw can. a preseason game. How cool is that? So with that said, I, I thought Zamir White looked pretty good. Listen, he's mm-hmm. playing against, you know, third string guys or whatever, but that's fine. Um, tell me about Zamir White. What, what are you thinking from a prospect standpoint, especially early in the season? I only ask that because... I don't know that we're super sure about how Kenyon Drake is going to pan out. And then of course, Josh Jacobs, we're not a hundred percent sure how they're going to utilize him. A do you like him and B do you see a scenario where in the first half of the season, Zemir White has a, has a pretty big role?
1: Yeah. So Zamir White's another guy who doesn't offer a ton um, in terms of his receiving uh, profile, but um, Zemir White just gets the job done, man. Like he, I think he was often kind of outshined by more electric playmakers in his backfield of Georgia. He played with DeAndre Swift and James Cook. Um, and he's not, you know, the big play receiving threat that those guys are, but he does his job, man. He just keeps plugging away. Uh, his career rushing success rate was 50%, was significantly higher than those guys, were around 46 47% in the same backfield. Um, basically, his data profile's white as a slightly worse version of former Georgia running backs like Sonny Michelle, and Nick Chubb, similar type of a running back to those guys. Um, those two were definitely more explosive than white, but their rushing success rate and their short yardage data was pretty comparable. Um, so I think, yeah, if Josh Jacobs falters, uh, there's been some sort of weird stuff going on with the Raiders and Josh Jacobs and their relationship uh, possibly. And so like if they're not happy or if he's not happy, it, I think White's someone who's uh, going to get the job done if he gets an opportunity. Um, and if that opportunity arises in year one, I think he could be a you know pretty productive top 24, top 30 fantasy back.
0: Let's boldface what Jacobs said on the front end there. Zamir White played in the same backfield of Georgia as James Cook and DeAndre Swift. Uh, running back university, apparently, over there in Georgia. OK, so let's talk about Isaiah Spiller. I think he's really interesting because I, I'm hearing a lot of buzz about him. I think a lot of people think he's firmly entrenched as the Austin Eckler backup. Uh, obviously, there's some speculation there. I don't think people like know that for a fact now. But that, that, given the draft capital and his skill set, do you agree that he is the backup to Austin Eckler? And how do you how do you how does he profile for you? Yeah, we
1: really never know with the Chargers, um, who who's going to get that second spot. But I think that Spiller, um, as a, from a profile perspective, is pretty strong and is is possibly deserving of it, and could be productive if he does. You know, if if Austin Eckler does go down, um, he's somebody who, like, unlike most of the running backs in this class, showed an ability to convince an offensive play caller to let him play on passing downs. I've mentioned that several times. This guy is great on early downs, but you know, he's not going to ever play through downs. Spiller could. He did in college, at least. Um, and he also was it's him and Brian Robinson are just like right there as like the clear best uh, short yardage backs in the class. Um, his dad on short yardage situations was really, really good. Um, he also broke tackles at a pretty high rate and is um, continue to improve that year over year. Um, but there are some red flags. Uh, he had the lowest rushing success rate in his own backfield at Texas A&M in each of his three seasons with a team, um, which is really strange for an NFL prospect. Uh, to be fair, he he has had pretty good running backs in that backfield with him, but still that is just really weird. Um, and he also has just not created explosive plays at a high rate at all. Um, so I like him overall, but he definitely does bring a pretty wide range of outcomes in terms of his spot on the depth chart and his profile, but could play three downs and could definitely like get the early down role. It's possible. That's exactly what they drafted him for.
0: Okay. So I really want to get to the receiver. So I'm going to fire off Three names, and you tell me if you like any of them, uh, whether that be for early in the DFS season, because one of these guys does stand out to me, uh, potentially, or just from a dynasty standpoint, if you like any of these guys. Tyler Algier with Atlanta, Pierre Strong with the New England Patriots, and Isaiah Pacheco with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, Pacheco is getting a ton of hype lately.
1: Um, He was somebody who I really liked right out of the draft um, where he was getting picked in dynasty, but I'm a little bit worried that he might be getting overblown at this point. His college data is horrendous. I don't know what to make of that. I think it was mostly a bad situation. Um, but it's just rare that you get a profile as, as poor as his um, that ends up being a productive NFL player. But from an athleticism standpoint and everything that we're hearing out of camp, definitely really buzzy, exciting. Um, Tyler Adjir, similar to a lot of guys we mentioned, really good on early downs, and he's in a backfield where there's not much competition. So he's sort of exciting at his draft cost, but is not someone who's going to contribute on on passing downs. Um, not as much into Pierre
0: Strong. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's going to wrap that part of it up. Listen, we are going to get into these receivers. There's a lot of receivers on this list. Some of them will fly through. Some of them will get a little bit detailed. But before we do that, we're going to hear a message from our partners. And we are back with Jacob Gibbs. You can find him at Sportsline. You can find him anywhere on CBS Fantasy. You can find him on FFT uh, in five, which is a really um, emerging show that's part and parcel with the regular fantasy football today shows. Let's talk about the rookie wide receivers, Jacob. We've got Drake London here. When I read your content on Sportsline, listen, I wasn't a Drake London guy. When he was drafted, I was kind of like, all right, that's a curious pick. Again, a relative to the other receivers that were on the board at the time, that, that was sort of my initial reaction. But reading your content uh, on Sportsline, I was really, really intrigued by it. Tell me more about Drake London. Yeah, Drake London kind of epitomizes this whole class.
1: Um, we've got guys with really wide ranges of outcomes we've got guys who have shown an ability to be like truly elite um but in very small sample sizes um guys who've been playing out of position and so like it's hard to really know exactly what to expect from them. and London kind of fits all of those he was miscast as a slot receiver during his first two seasons at USC um and he really didn't break out until year three when he moved to the perimeter um And it, what a breakout it was like, I've never seen anything like this in his first two years, he was legitimately like a below average producer at the college football level. And then in year three, he drew targets at the second highest rate of any prospect that we've had in the past five years. Um, And to make, you know, our job of evaluating this even harder, that came on only 308 routes. Um, which is really a pretty small sample size. So like for reference, Jameson Williams had the awesome 2021 breakout. And so you might think of them as similar players, like only one year of elite production, but Williams ran over 500 routes, uh, only 308 for London last year. So there are some red flags, but I, I think the draft capital is enough for me to not be too concerned about, you know, some of the small sample size stuff. Um, but yeah, as far as L- London goes, when he's moved to the perimeter, he was absolutely dominant. He drew targets and areas at a really high rate. Um, he was, he, was used around the line of scrimmage a lot. They did a lot of things to just get the ball in his hands, but when he was used as a downfield route runner, he was really efficient there as well. And then the last thing I would add is that um, you can find this on Sports I Earlier in the offseason, right around the draft time, I um, did research on the four routes that are used at the highest um, rate at the NFL level and how each um, rookie receiver prospect did on those routes. And London really, really stood out on those routes. Him and Traylon Burks um, had the – highest discrepancy between those routes and all other routes. They're really, really efficient on those routes. So I think he profiles as potentially, you know, elite wide receiver one at the NFL level. Um, I just wish we had a larger sample size of it.
0: I can tell you that that route tree data that you had with all these college guys was so awesome. I mean, I don't know how I, I wish I could I could come up with a more formal word than awesome, but it wouldn't do it justice. I was really, really intrigued by that and how you applied it to all of the receivers, because uh, I think that's really important. Like those four routes that you pinpointed in terms of um, what they're normally going to be running at an NFL level and what they ran in college. I think that's really important in terms of not just how they will translate overall into the NFL, but how they how they will translate early in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And from for a DFS show, I think that's really important. And speaking of DFS, He's 5,000 week one against the New Orleans Saints. How do you feel about that? I think it's it's definitely interesting. There's so many
1: wide receiver values that I like in sure. week one. And so it's just kind of an opportunity cost thing. Can you afford to use a, a roster spot on London there? Um, but I think for tournaments, I, I definitely like it. Because I think if people are going to attack one of the pass catchers from that game, it's probably going to be Kyle Pitts. And so I think he gives you a lot of leverage there as well. Um, so definitely interesting for tournaments.
0: So, Frank made me do this, but he wants me to ask you about Garrett Wilson, of course, drafted, 10th overhauled by the New York Jets. He's got Elijah Moore on the other side, and I know how much you like Elijah Moore. I think the entire community really likes Elijah Moore. I think they're obviously a little skittish because of this Jets offense, but I guess the question for Garrett Wilson is, well, if we're a little skittish about any pass catcher for the New York Jets because of Zach Wilson and just the Jets in general— Although I gotta, I gotta admit they'll be playing from behind quite a bit, so so mm-hmm. that's certainly a good thing. But tell me about Garrett Wilson again, drafted tenth overall by the Jets. Garrett
1: Wilson is awesome, man. He was he was my wide receiver one going into the draft. Uh, I don't love the landing spot. I've moved him behind uh, London and Burks um, for dynasty purposes in redraft, of, of course. Um, but yeah, his analytical profile is awesome. He, I've talked about how many red flags there are for all these receivers and just like really wide range of outcomes. Don't know what to expect. Gary Wilson is like the one guy in this class that I trust. Um, he's proven to be really, really good at basically everything that he was asked to do at, at Ohio state. And he was asked to do a lot. He was asked to play a lot of different roles. Um, and every time he did, he, he excelled. Um, he's, I think people know that he's really good um, as a downfield route runner, but what stood out to me he was actually really, really good on short routes. He was really good from the slot. He was really good getting the ball in his hands. And I think that is a role that he, he might be used that um, with the jets because Elijah Moore, and Corey Davis are such good downfield route runners um, that Davis or that um, the Wilson might be asked to like create a little bit more on intermediate routes and short routes. And I think that's what we saw at college, at least was pretty exciting. So I love him as a prospect. I love the dynasty. I am probably going to be a little bit underweight on him uh, for 2022 and take a wait and see approach for DFS.
0: Yeah, I'm speaking of DFS, he's 4,700 week one versus Baltimore, who's getting a lot of artillery back for the, uh, in their secondary versus how banged up they were last year. So probably not a great DFS play, but there, this next guy I wanted to ask you about might be a good DFS play week one, Chris Olave drafted uh, 11th overall by the New Orleans Saints. He's 4,500 week one versus Atlanta. To me, that's right in that sort of sweet spot of value. There's a lot of guys in the 3K range that are great, the mid 3K range. There's a lot of guys in the low 4K and mid 4K range. I think if Chris Olave has a good preseason, I think you know maybe a skinny stack with Drake London. But the point is, I think Olave could be decent. But forget about week one. How do you feel about Olave in general?
1: I think he is really interesting uh, for week one for um, DFS purpose in general, because I think he's somebody like week to week, who's going to have a really high ceiling um, because of the types of routes he's likely to run at the NFL level. Um, he's somebody who you know produced really well on the big four routes as well. Uh, really everything about Lave's profile is extremely exciting. The only thing that um, stands out is that in year three, he really fell off his efficiency, his efficiency metrics, um, his volume, everything fell off. And I think, you know, it didn't have a lot to do with him. I think it was more just that uh, Justin Fields wasn't there anymore. The offense was focused more on shorter passing, um, and they're really, really, really good receivers at Ohio State. Um, and so, like, we saw him fall to like the wide receiver three in his own offense, which is really rare um, for such a strong prospect. Um, but everything else that I've seen from Olave is is dope. I think I think he's going to be really, really good and somebody that'll be targeting a lot in DFS.
0: So this next guy we can touch on just for a second, because I don't think he's going to be starting the beginning of the season. I'll I'll be happy to take your take on that one, but he tore tore his ACL in January. So I think we're looking at maybe the middle of the season here. Jamison Williams drafted 12th overall by the Detroit Lions. Again, he had that ACL injury just from a prospecting standpoint. How do you feel about Jamison?
1: From a prospecting standpoint, he's so exciting, man. He's just dripping with potential. Um, But I'm a little bit worried about how things are going to fit for Williams in 2022. I think he's just, I think him and Jared Goff are pretty incompatible in terms of the types of routes that James Williams is going to run and the types of passes that Goff likes to make. Um, I also think the, you know, ideal role for Williams is, um, an offense where he can run from the slot and stretch, um, opposing zone defenses, kind of like we've seen with Tyree kill, um, that he was really efficient that in that way, um, at Alabama. And I don't know if he's going to get many opportunities with the monitor St. Brown there. Um, Pretty much always occupying the slot. Um, there's a lot to like about Williams long term, but I think for me,
0: I'm going to kind of wait and see how he does in year one and probably be buying a lot in Dynasty after this year. So, Jacob, this next guy is near and dear to my heart, but I don't think he's near and dear to yours based on some of the metrics that I was uh, reading on Sportsline, on some of your uh, your content in Sportsline. I'm a Washington Commanders fan, otherwise known as a Washington football team i think i'm still going to call him the football team this year i was kind of like just getting used to that and here they drop another name on us Jahan dotson drafted 16th overall, a little higher than people expected for the record he's 3400 week one versus jacksonville in dfs probably not a guy i'm playing but you know certainly you could take a flyer on a guy that's 3400 either way Jahan dotson how does he profile for you he's uh just
1: he's the type of receiver that's is difficult for me to profile because i think he really suffered from poor quarterback play um and so his analytical Profile is just not very good. Um, and I, I, I don't know how exactly to evaluate him. Um, one thing that really stood out with Dotson is that his numbers were inflated by scripted touches. Um, so screens, slants, flare routes, just short routes, intentionally getting the ball in his hands. Um, and even with them going out of the way to get him the ball that way, his, his analytics really weren't that strong relative to the rest of the he was in this class Um, he did show improvement and, uh, at last year in 21, he, he really, um, did actually perform well on big four outs, which he hadn't done previously in his career. So he's, he's got an up and down profile and I kind of just, again, taking away and see approach. I think, you know, he's got an opportunity to play a lot here. Um, but I'm not overly excited about Washington's offense and, uh, I don't love the data that we have on Dotson, but of course the draft capital and the athleticism both stand out. So he could definitely prove me wrong. Okay. Jacob, that kind of hurt the whole Washington <laughs> offense thing, but I'm not mad. I'm just, you know, disappointed. I just, I've been excited about Washington's offense for like two or three straight years here, man. And they yeah, just, no, I get it. it down.
0: Jacob, I believe, pl- believe me, you're preaching to the choir here <laughs> as a lifelong Washington fan, but let's talk about a guy that you're definitely excited about, at least based on what I heard a few minutes ago, when it came to the metrics, the route tree stuff that you were looking at. Traylon Burks dropped to oh, yeah. 18th overall by the Tennessee Titans, who of course lost AJ Brown. They got ran Tannehill, at QB, who, by the way, I think he's getting paid $37, 38000000 this year against the cap, which is uh, pretty bananas. But with that in mind, Traylon, talk to me.
1: Yeah, so he's kind of similar to Drake London in that I think he was really miscast as a slot receiver. Um, but unlike London, we never got to see him outside of that role um, on a full-time basis. So we have to just, you know, speculate on, you know, the small subset of routes we have outside of the slot within each year. And um, those routes are really exciting, but again, it's a very small sample size, but yeah, when Birch was outside of the slot, he was elite in terms of his efficiency on downfield targets, um, his perimeter targets, his verse press coverage, he, he excelled, but again, really, really small sample size. Um, but yeah, when he was in the slot, he was actually less efficient than was when he was on the perimeter, which um, most of the time, those uh, slot routes actually boost efficiency for college football players. So I just wish we would have not seen him pigeonholed into this short yardage role at Arkansas, um, because it gives me some, you know, skepticism about whether he can really run um, an NFL level route tree right away. He performed really well when he ran big four routes, but he wasn't asked to do it very often. Um, they, he was another player who really benefited from scripted touches. The team really went out of the way to get him those looks. Um, but I think we could see something sort of similar at Tennessee, who is, you know, hurting for playmakers, um, has targeted AJ Brown at one of the highest rates of any players in the NFL. And then, you know, obviously traded him away and immediately got trail on Burks. Um, so I'm excited for him. I I'm definitely higher than, him on than, uh, the field is going into year one. And I'm going to be playing him a lot in DFS because I think, uh, he brings a lot of upside in this role. And I think there's a lot of unknown. I think people are, you know, there's been negative news around him in camp. And then also people don't know what the role is going to be like. So I think people won't be rostering him a lot. And I'm going to try to take advantage of that early in the year in tournaments.
0: So you, you talk about unknown, and this next guy I want to ask you about, who was drafted 34th overall, is extremely unknown because he's, he's having a rough camp. Uh, I think he's been a, a little hurt as well. And it's Christian Watson, of course, but he also has Romeo Dobbs, um, I should say Dobbs, I think that's how you pronounce it, Romeo Dobbs that is um, flanking him, if you will. Uh, just give me your analysis on both of those guys. We know Watson's coming from a D1 AA program, so I, I would imagine that's hard to analyze, but you tell me.
1: Right. Yeah. So I actually don't even have Watson's data in our database because of that, which is frustrating. Um, but everything from prospect profile is exciting. Obviously the draft capital is exciting, but when I I just am really leery of taking a rookie in green Bay with Aaron Rodgers in general, but especially one who is had kind of a slow start like Watson has. Um, and yeah, with Romeo Dobbs playing really well, I'm, I'm ended up being, you know, significantly underweight on Watson. He was somebody who I was taking a lot early in best ball formats, Um, And I think he definitely will bring a lot of uh, week to week upside because of the type of routes that he'll be running um, if he does get on the field. But I'm probably going to take a wait and see approach with him Um, and probably with Dubs as well, because I think uh, just there's been so much attention around him. I just there's other guys out of the target.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I think Dubs is interesting, particularly from a DFS standpoint, if he if he continues to shine, because I think he's a flat 3K in DFS week one. So again, that's against Minnesota. And I think that Minnesota Green Bay game is an intriguing game because what what happens in week one is you're going to get a lot of ownership going to the Chargers-Raiders game, to the Kansas City-Arizona game. That Minnesota Vikings game versus the Packers, it's not going to get ignored by any means, but it's certainly going to be lower roster than than some of these other high-profile games. So I think Dubs is an easy sort of run back maybe with a uh, with a cousins or and a Jefferson stack where you obviously you could go the other way around. But I, I think he's an interesting piece that a lot of people are already thinking about playing week one because he's He just gets talked about a lot. He's just one of those Mm -hmm. shiny new toys that everybody wants to to play with. Wandale Robinson uh, drafted 43rd overall. He's really interesting to me because he's getting a lot of good press as of late. I think people are still kind of stuck on evaluating Kenny Galladay with the Giants because he was hurt most of last year and very unproductive. And then, of course, there's Kenny Galladay, who, oh, by the way, is 4100 in DFS week one against uh, those Tennessee Titans we were just talking about. How do you feel about Wandale Robinson, who, for the record, is 3K week one against Tennessee?
1: Yeah, Robinson is another guy who brings a really interesting profile. Um, he was one of the most productive single-season um, players we've seen at the college level in a long time. He uh, matched Traylon Burks in yards per hour run. He was just behind Drake London in targets per hour run in 2021. Um, he did benefit a lot from scripted touches. Obviously, he's a short yardage guy, but he was actually you know pretty efficient outside of that as well, um, just on any given uh, route. Um, he, he was decent on big four routes. He was more efficient outside of the big four, but it wasn't, he was still one of the you know more efficient producers in the class on those routes. Um, and then I was expecting him to fall to like the fourth or fifth round. We got his measurables and then New York comes in and picks him in the second round. And like, so now we have somebody who has an elite profile and the draft capital back it. Um, it's possible that he's a special player, you know, like I think that is really an exciting starting point for him. Um, there's three guys ahead of him on the depth chart and one of them is Kadarius Tony, who profiles extremely similarly in terms of the type of routes that he runs. And so I don't really know how he fits in right away, but I think if we see at some point during the season an opportunity for him to play, which could definitely happen to all three of these guys ahead of him have struggled with injuries, um, I think Robinson's someone I'm gonna be pretty aggressively targeting
0: in I DFS. Love that. Yeah. I love that. Let, let me ask you just a real quick question on Daniel Jones before I get to the next receiver. How do you see, with a kind of a new regime commanding the, the New York Giants, do you see him making an improvement? Because obviously it's, it's, it's hard to be excited about Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Tony, and even, not that a lot of people are excited about Kenny Galladay, but it's hard to be excited about those three guys when you have sort of the limitations that it appears Daniel Jones has. Do you see the ability to take a step forward when it comes to Daniel Jones? Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: cautiously optimistic about the Giants this year. I think really just just on regression alone in terms of touchdowns, they ha- almost have to be better than we've seen. And I think that coinciding with the coaching change, it, it makes sense yeah. that would happen. I mean, like truly, if you look at offenses that have scored touchdowns at such a low rate, um, they almost always positively regress. Um, so I would expect that, even though we've seen them do it two years in a row now. Um, so I think the offense should be better, and I think the pieces are in place. And he's got a really diverse um, and talented team group of pass catchers um so really it all comes down to Daniel jones is he able to do it um i don't know the answer to that but i i'm happy to take
0: you know shots on these guys because they're all pretty discounted really so i have a group of ride receivers I still want to ask you about. Four from the second round, but I'm going to group them together because I think, and I'll tell you why I'm grouping them together in a second, Tyquan Thornton and George Pickens. And the reason I'm grouping those two in particular is because I think when it comes to New England, you really don't know, no matter how he profiles, how a New England receiver is going to do there. Now, obviously, uh, they brought over a receiver from Miami and the receivers there just haven't been prolific in, in quite some time because of the way that offense runs. And then there's George Pickens, who has a lot of people in front of him. He certainly seems to have the talent, but has a lot of people in front of him. Do either of those guys profile well for you?
1: Pickens does. Uh, Thornton does not at all. Thornton, just from a data standpoint, is one of the worst or one of the most overvalued prospects relative to draft uh, capital that we've had in a while. Um, and then, yeah, just with the ambiguity in New England, um, I haven't found myself with any of him. Um but George Pickens as an 18 year old looked like every bit, a part of like a round one, early round one selection. He drew a target on 28% of his routes, um, which among 32 players who had an average depth of target of 15 or more yards, that was the second highest rate. Um, so that's really impressive. Um, we just other receivers who have done that recently, and then gone on to play in the NFL, Gabriel Davis, Chris Olave, T Higgins, Rashad Bateman. So that's kind of the profile we have here for Higgins is somebody who can run downfield routes and draw targets at a high rate on those routes. Um, and everything we've seen out of camp has been really exciting too. Um, obviously, he fell off in 2019, and then had the injury. Uh, but from a uh, prospect profile, he is an exciting player, um, and he's a player who just brings a ton of upside just because of the types of routes we talked about there. He's going to, you know, have huge air yard upside, um, and if he gets an opportunity to play in year one, I, I think he he could definitely be one of the guys picked outside of round one who ends up, you know, being a
0: huge value. So the second two I want to ask you about is Alec Pierce. Who I'm assuming is going to at least get the opportunity to step in as the wide receiver three behind Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell, but maybe you think he could jump Paris Campbell. But then the next guy is a guy that's talked about a lot, and that of course is Sky Moore. So how do you assess those two?
1: Yeah, I'm a huge Paris Campbell fan, so I don't. I definitely don't think Alec Pierce is going to supplant him from a, a target um, drawing standpoint, but I do think Alec Pierce is a really solid, like real life player. Um, he had you know pretty strong big four data. Um, he was one of the best deep threats in the class. Uh, he was by far the worst, uh, when it came to short yard routes. Um, and I, I think that's just not the role that he's going to, you know, play. He's going to be a downfield, uh, field stretcher, but like the only problem is the Colts just don't throw downfield. They ranked 31st, um, in go route frequency target rate last year. Um, The only team that ran go routes less often was the Falcons (laughs) with Matt Ryan. And that's where Alec Pierce really excels. So I don't love the fit, but I do like the player. And I think he's somebody who you could buy in Dynasty after this year. Um, I love Sky Moore as a prospect, as a long-term prospect. He is another guy who might not play a ton in year one. I think they've got, you know, a a decent group of receivers already. Um, And Sky Moore is a converted cornerback who did kind of struggle when I looked at the big four data. Um, it was decent, but then he was much better on the other routes. He was somebody who got a lot of scripted touches drawn up for him. Um, but from a prospect perspective, Scott Moore is really, really exciting. And then we've seen him being used in a lot of different ways in camp um, and everything has been really, really strong out of Kansas City. So I think he's a great guy to take shots on early in DFS if you think he is going to play a regular role um, because he's a stud. He could come in and fill it up right away.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. Fantasy points per game this this coming season. Kansas City Chiefs receivers. You basically have four to choose from. Who are the top two? Uh,
1: I guess I've got to say Juju, but I honestly am, relative to the field, am, am very underweight on Juju. Um, and I'm going to go with Miko Harman, which nobody is picking, but I think that we have a lot of data on Miko. That's actually pretty exciting from these past few years. Um, he's been much, much better when Tyreek has been off the field. They've been intentional about getting the ball um, when Tyreek has been off the field. And I think you know it's either going to be him or Sky Moore who's filling that role this year. Um, so yeah, I think there's, yeah,
0: <laughs> here we are one more year with Nicole Hardman. Why not? <laughs> uh, I don't, I, you know, I've been very anti Nicole Hardman almost from the time he was drafted, but I gotta say that this would be the year for him to break out. And somebody was making the point, I think it was last week on this very show that, of those four receivers, he's the only one that's actually even played with McCole Hardman, let alone caught a pass from. excuse me, for, with uh, Patrick Mahomes, let alone caught a pass from him. So yeah. I think there's something to be said for that as well. Okay, just a few more receivers I just want to touch on real quick. Do you like any of these guys? I know you like one of them, but I'm not sure if you like two, three, or four. Jalen Tolbert with Dallas in a great situation. David Bell, Khalil Shakir, and Vilas Jones with the Chicago Bears. Any of those guys are on your radar?
1: I actually really like the first three you mentioned, uh, Jalen Tolbert, I love. He's moved into, he's almost in the top 40 for my, um, 2022 rankings, which is nuts. Um, he had a really, really strong uh, collegiate profile. He's demanded air yards at the higher rate than any receiver in terms of like the air yards he demanded while on the field. Um, I just put out an article on that. It's called uh, volume hog rate. And it just looks at like, while on the field, how much of the targets of volume did a player um, command and he really, really stood out there. And now he's going to an opportunity where he could command a ton of volume right away. An um, explosive playmaker downfield. I, I love Jalen Tolbert. I want to get as much of him as I can. Uh, he, I think, plays on Sunday night in he week does. one. So you, somebody you can stick in that captain spot real cheap um, before people are really, really on him. Um, so love Tolbert. Uh, David Bell. I, I wish he didn't have a slow start to camp here because he, I think, fits perfectly as the Jarvis Landry replacement. He's been really, really good in that type of role at the college level he's really drawn targets at a high rate. And I think he's somebody who come in and be a PPR producer right away, uh, potentially, but I, I, I don't love when rookies, you know, struggle to get things going early in camp. Um, so he's kind of something I'm taking away to see and see approach with, uh, and then Khalil Shakir, like, I'm glad you mentioned him because I, people won't talk about him. And I guess, I mean, they've got Isaiah McKenzie has been getting a lot of the buzz in camp. Um, but Shakir's had a really strong camp too, from what I've heard. Um, and his collegiate profile is awesome. I, I, didn't even know who he was going into my research of the rookie class. And I'm like, who's this Shakir guy that just keeps popping up at the top of the list on like every match I look at. Um, And the more I dug into him, like he's really good. He's really good at everything that he's been asked to do at the college level. Uh, He's an explosive downfield route runner. And if something happens at Buffalo where he steps into, you know, regular reps as a rookie, like he, it's an explosive playmaker and one of the best offenses in the NFL, one of the most pass heavy offenses in the NFL um, so that's exactly the type of player I want to get at the end of best ball drafts and even deeper season-long drafts. Um, but yeah, keep his name in mind for DFS for sure if he does get an opportunity. Um,
0: yep. Not as much interest in Velas Jones, he had a pretty rough prospect profile. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So we covered running backs, we covered receivers. That's pretty much it. But I, I just wanted to ask you because I mean, not a lot of these QBs are going to have an immediate impact. So I didn't really want to touch on them because ultimately this is a DFS show, and I'm trying to find guys that might have an early impact. But then there's the <laughs> tight ends too. So I just wanted to like Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis. Like I don't think any of those guys. I'm pretty sure none of those guys are starting. Uh, do you like any of those three? And then I'm I'm going to have you touch on any rookie tight ends that you like: Trey McBride, Greg Dulcich, and Jelani Woods. Uh, let's start with the quarterbacks, though, like profiling wise, not not like mm-hmm. in DFS or redraft, but maybe for dynasty purposes. Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis. What do you think?
1: Uh, Malik Willis is, of course, interesting because of the rushing potential. If he gets you know, an opportunity to play, he's somebody that will be targeting DFS. The name that I'll throw out that you didn't even mention is Sam Howell. Uh, mm-hmm. he, I, and I hope you like this as a Washington guy. Yeah, uh, he fell to the fifth round, which is obviously, you know, not encouraging, but
0: well, it's, re- what's crazy, Jacob, is two years ago, they were talking about Sam Howell being drafted like as, as a top five pick. Maybe it was three yeah. years ago, but Sam Howell was highly regarded and then just fell off a cliff.
1: Yeah, his passing metrics really fell off in 2021. But I uh, I mean, the offense, he lost like all of his playmakers, you know, like he lost Diamond Brown, he lost Javante Williams, he lost Michael Carter. And so it was kind of, you know, he had to take upon himself to do everything. Um, and he did as a rusher, he was insane last year. Um, just this is single season uh, rates with a minimum of 100 rushes. He had the second highest um, avoid tackle rate of any quarterback over the past five years. That includes Lamar Jackson. That includes uh, Kyler Murray. That includes Jalen Hurts. The only one who was higher was Malik Willis. Um, and then rushing success rate, the highest above Malik Willis, above Lamar Jackson, above Kyler. Like, if he gets an opportunity, he's got great weapons around him. He can rush, and I think he'll be aggressive in throwing the ball downfield to Terry McLaurin. Um, so, yeah, I think Sam Howell is somebody who will be interesting for DFS, and is somebody, if you're in, like, super flex leagues, is somebody to, you know, keep in mind at the end of your drafts.
0: You're, you're just saying that because, you know, I'm a Washington fan. You know, no, I was I, I'm Sam Howell, no, for real. <laughs> <laughs> um, Trey McBride, Greg Dulcich, uh, Jelani Woods, and any of those guys. I mean, Jelani Woods is interesting. I mean, you put mm-hmm. him in Mo Cox. Uh, on the field at the same time, and you know, good luck catching jump balls. Uh, any interest in any of those guys?
1: Yeah, I, I really like uh, Woods as a prospect. I don't know how much of an impact he'll make this year, but he's exciting to uh, a name to keep in mind. I really like Dolcich as well, uh, and Denver seems to really like him. Um, I was excited for Albert O before that pick, but he has a pretty strong prospect profile and uh, is somebody who could, you know, could play a significant role right away with uh, Tim Patrick going down. They could, you know, they need playmakers. Um, and then, yeah, I think Trey McBride is interesting as well. Same thing. They're going to be you know, missing DeAndre Hopkins at the beginning of the year, and so they kind of need playmakers. And they've got there's definitely some ambiguity in terms of who it's going to be. I think Rondell Moore is going to step up this year. Um, but it could be Trey McBride who plays a larger role. Um, and then also he's got an aging uh, tight end in front of him who has struggled with his health at times. Um, and if he gets an opportunity, Trey McBride is going to draw targets, or at least everything we've seen from him at the college level suggests that he will. He's drawn targets at one of the highest rate of any tight end prospect we've had. the past five seasons so yeah all three guys are interesting Uh, McBride and Dolchish are the ones that seem the most likely to maybe make an impact this year
0: Jacob we were so excited to have you on the show and you delivered and then some um, I know I I personally read your stuff at Sportsline but I'm curious for the listeners where can we find your content whether it's you know podcasting content or written content
1: yeah uh, you can follow me on twitter at jgibbs underscore two three I try to tweet out as much relevant information as I can for you guys there Um, and then If that's not enough for you, then yeah, check me out on Sportsline. It's real cheap. And uh, like Cia said, it's very comprehensive. So if you want to just spend, you know, a whole day reading about all these rookies, you can, because I I love these rookies. They're very exciting. Um, And yeah, I'll be pumping out DFS content as well as we get going into the season. So yeah, give it a read.
0: I think I can vouch for at least 75% of the audience that's watching on YouTube or listening right now. Uh, that uh, we, w- I would love spending an entire day reading any football <laughs> content, but particularly yours. And, and I read it quite often. Again, um, I should remind everybody you can watch us on YouTube when we do this show in the future. We're going to have all kinds of screens up because we're going to be doing our Tuesday preview show, and we're going to be doing um, our Thursday uh, select kind of selection show. So definitely make sure. You you dial into us on YouTube. But Jacob, thank you so much for joining the show. Um, my name is Sia Najad. That is Jacob Gibbs. You can find him again at JA Gibbs underscore 23. This has been our offseason series. We're, we're going to come at you next week as well, like we've been doing every single week with all kinds of different analysis, player analysis, game theory, you name it. We've been here for you. Tune in next week. We'll be we'll be back. See you.